How you doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. If this is your first time stopping by, I hope you will enjoy the show. Please let me know what you think by DMing me on my social medias, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or Twitter, or writing to me at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. If for any reason you have any critiques, any uh, questions, any concerns, any suggestions for shows I should watch, books I should read, podcasts I should listen to, shows I should try to go on to, um, or any, you know, topics you'd like to hear uh, spoken about, or if any of you would be interested in even coming on the show. Um, All of this, you know, just please, uh, I I love to hear from folks. I love to learn what I can be doing better to make the podcast a little bit more enjoyable, a little bit more educational, uh, and a little bit more uh, listenable. (laughs) Um, But anyways, yeah, thanks for stopping by. If this is you coming back, uh, I appreciate that a whole fucking lot because that means that something I said in the podcast you listened to was intelligible enough to make you want to listen to another one. So, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> um, so today is going to be a little bit of a continuation in my uh, conversation about the myths about uh, communism and capitalism. Um, we are having this discussion, I should say, not for just, you know, yet another uh, 22-year-old white kid living in the West to talk about why he thinks communism is so cool, but in fact, because it is the myths about not only communism, but especially capitalism, which keep people indoctrinated and oftentimes, you know, is the mental stopping block or even the physical stopping block to actively participating in anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist struggle, and especially, it also leads towards a unconscious anti-communism, which tells us that the achievements which have been made by socialist countries cannot be achieved, that they are authoritarian, that they failed, that capitalism was stronger, right? So I think ultimately, although a lot of these conversations are had, I don't think that a lot of folks, including myself, always do a good job of centering our argument, not around our opinion, but around the actionable necessity for change. So, one thing that I would like to talk about, because it is incredibly important to those of us who are living here in the United States, uh, the Build Back Better plan, the plan that we all knew in November of last year was absolute bullshit, right? Gee, don't you know that it's getting slashed and cut to shit. Well, I don't like being the I told you so guy. So I'm not gonna be. Because I don't think I even mentioned this at any point on the show. But what I want to do is try to learn from this moment of time in our history that the politicians, the representatives, 
and the elected officials of our bourgeois capitalist system are a means to an end, right? When we look at the fact that, for example, Senator Joe Manchin and, uh, oh, geez, Kristen, oh, geez, it starts with an S, I (laughs) want to say Stewart, but I'm quite sure that that is wrong, but anyways, um, Kristen Cinema, there it is, uh, that's S-I-N-E-M-A, I believe, uh, if you want to look, uh, those folks up, but if you look at the fact that these two, who, okay, Joe Manchin is the highest paid out of all of the, uh, elected officials who were on the, um, uh, payroll of big oil, he is one of the, if not the highest paid. And then you got Kristen Cinema, who is directly linked to the pharmaceutical companies and the private healthcare companies. So when you have a system that is built in such a way that two people who are directly funded by uh, private interests can maintain and be able to withhold trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars, necessary spending, so that people can have food, so that people can have health care in the middle of a fucking pandemic, so that people who get fired from their jobs because they can't find childcare, because they can't find reliable uh, transportation, because they can't pass a drug test, right? Nothing is there for them. Nothing. That is the system which capitalism is built because it guts and it dehydrates everything from within, even the empire itself, to make sure that all of that wealth, all of those privileges are siphoned off directly to the wealthiest and most powerful elite few. And over time, as has been shown historically, capitalism's natural tendency is towards monopolization. It is towards centralization. What that means is if you think that the amount of money that exists within, let's say, for example, the top 10 billionaires within the United States who have, during this pandemic, added, and listen here because this number is quite close to another important number, $3.6 trillion, or, yeah, I actually think that is true. I believe it is $3.6 trillion they added to their budget, the top 10 billionaires, and the Build Back Better plan was set originally to be about a $3.7 trillion budget. The billionaire's tax rate, you might ask, anywhere between 0 and 8%. The average American's tax rate, anywhere between 12 and 15%. Now, let me explain taxes to folks real quick. If you have $15,000 and somebody takes 10% of that, that is $1,500, I think. (laughs) And that means, right, that you have a substantial amount less of money than you had originally. That is a huge portion of your money. And not only is it a huge portion of your money, it's a huge portion of the money that you need to buy things, of which $1,500, which I just pulled out my calculator, I was correct, hell yeah, 
that $1,500 doesn't do shit. Absolute shit. That $1,500 doesn't even buy us one Javelin rocket launcher. It does not even pay for one week of a military official's salary. Official, we should say. I, I got homies who are in the military who need to get out, get the fuck out the military. I don't care what your reason is, get the fuck out that fascist military. But anyways, I got homies in the military who'd get mad at me for saying that because they're like, nah, I don't know. I don't know about no $1,500, but uh, for the officials, that's that's nothing. You know, the generals and all those motherfuckers. But anyways, if you have $15 billion, ready? Let me Let me try to get the math pulled up quick on my phone. Oh, I don't, I don't even think I can do it on my phone. I think I have to try to turn my phone sideways. Hold up here. Yep, okay. All right, times, point. If you don't know how to do a percentage, I had to learn this again recently. You take the original number and you multiply it by the decimal point percentage version in order to get the amount. So 15 billion, 10% of that, is holy shit hold on here we're we're talking 1.5 billion dollars now is that an incredible amount of money that some bootlicker apologist might sit there and say no that's too much money that's so unfair and so unrealistic to ask someone to give that much money away um especially when oftentimes they don't see any benefit from that which is bullshit um and just plainly not true Um, I say fuck you Uh, Yeah, I think they should give more I think that everyone who can make over a billion dollars Should have to give away three quarters of that a billion dollars And every time you make a billion dollars You should have to give away three quarter of that a billion dollars And not for nothing I would say that this is only an impractical and idealistic temporary solution to a structural problem that won't actually succeed, won't ever happen. But all I'm saying is if we're talking logically, 10% out of $15 billion, no, I don't think that's enough. So fuck those fucking capitalists. Uh, so you got you to gotta think right now that Joe Manchin and, and Cinema are keeping $3.6 trillion out of being, uh, first of all, uh, that will, you know, stimulate the economy for the stupid assholes who think that that's important. Um, and it'll give people fucking health care. It'll give people free college to some extent, probably not. But it will give people food on their table. It will give people protection, man. Like, that's that's what I don't really understand um, is, uh, you know, the only reason why anyone could be against this is because they have interests that directly con- contradict with the idea that people ought to be helped. So, you know, toy with that in your domeski. Um, but moving forward, this bill, right? and how it's being blocked shows quite clearly the ineffectiveness of the government structure as it exists today. Now, this probably isn't news to anyone. I mean, we all were feeling the same way come last November when uh, we all, you know, had to look down at our ballot and see Joe Biden and Donald Trump's name right next to each other in 2021. Um, But... I think that we must recognize here the different ways in which we can be responding to this, Um, the myths that are at play here, right, and the ideological um, struggle that needs to be waged, and how we can, you know, start organizing around this. I want to talk about that because... You know, it's quite clear to the majority of people, especially young folks, which is fucking incredible. Um, It's quite clear to folks that the United States government 
isn't just corrupt because corruption I think is a liberal fantasy because there is no corruption corruption would be assuming that what's happening is not what was supposed to happen corruption implies that this is not the natural tendency of a capitalist bourgeois system where the private sector has officially and fully taken hold of the state apparatus. This is, again, as we talked about, a uh, natural tendency of capitalism is to monopol- to uh, monopolize. Now, what is more important to monopolize at this point in time in the world where planned economies where state capitalism, quote-unquote, and other forms of state uh, subsidiaries, uh, state intervention has become the norm. Uh, What else is there left for capitalism to uh, take hold of, for capital to absorb into its fold, other than the state? I mean, these capitalist uh, producers these capitalists right they own the resources that much is clear they own all the factories right they own the markets not only just the markets in their locality their region their nation But globally, there are countries who dominate trade. They own the distribution methods. They own private military contracting firms. And I'd like to say here real quick, those of us who feel, right that some critiques about capitalism can be correct, but the whole idea of, you know, fascism and secret police and uh, the capitalists buying off the state. Y'all, let's remember the Pinkertons, yes? The Pinkertons who were literally just hired guns for the FBI and what would become the CIA to go around and just fucking destroy lives and communities across the fucking country. And then you have groups like um, the OSS, which ultimately developed into also something similar to the CIA. You have the USAID, which sponsors groups which end up privatizing and atomizing public sectors and handing them off to Western and private interests, right? So let's remember that. But then, of course, you have the period of globalization where now also in the 90s and early 2000s, they begin to own these massive banking firms like the World Bank, the IMF, right? So what's left for them to own? If they're monopolizing right? The only thing that's left in that process is the state. So it's not, you know, corruption, really, that we're up against, at least not precisely. Because again, corruption implies that none of this shit is how capitalism wants it to be. That, you know, there's all these evil uh, players who are just polluting and, uh, you know, corrupting the system. There's no crony capitalism about it. There's no uh, individual evils about it. It is quite clearly a system predicated on mass exploitation, mass ignorance, and mass uh, oppression. There's no real different way to put it that kind of encapsulates fully what 
truly is the problem. Because it's not corruption. It's the system. Which is rotten. And which needs to be... uh, Evicted. Shall we say. Because... Plainly... I think we have to recognize that... We've done all that we can... For the last... 250 years to pretend like this nation the United States and others like it are anything more than a primitive accumulation apparatus for capitalism the development of colonialism of imperialism These are all ways in which capital naturally takes hold and grows its roots deeper into the world and into the system that we live in. But I think also that historically there has been countless different attempts to change this reality but also plenty of others like it where you had a distinct and dominating class which was organized on an interest in continuing society as it exists at that point in time because That society was built not only for their own benefit, but also on the exploitation and oppression of the majority, which did not allow that majority to invade and to siphon off resources for itself, for themselves away from the wealthy elite few. Some of the myths that we hear about capitalism is that, well, capitalism is the most efficient thing. It's the most uh, natural thing. And so, therefore, we should uh, continue privatizing our health sector. We should continue privatizing and hiring out mercenaries to uh, patrol borders, not only in the middle of a global pandemic, but also in the middle of one of the uh, newest periods of intensification of climate collapse. This system is not efficient in the sense that its efficiency is predicated on the destruction of everything that the working class needs. That's its efficiency. Because what makes it efficient is when it's able to steal as much money from you as it can as quickly as possible and siphon it off as quickly as possible to as few people as possible. That's efficiency according to capitalism. That's why they do budget cuts. That's why they lay people off. That's why they cut hours. That's why they close entire factories down which could be developing or producing ventilators, oxygen, masks, hand sanitizer, vaccines, etc., etc., which could be, uh, you know, turning distribution centers and shipping containers into exclusively uh, vaccine uh, distribution or um, uh, exclusively other medicines and foodstuffs distribution for countries across the world, which instead of doing that, the United States is sanctioning and forcing to pay out large majorities of its budget to ridiculous charges that the UN is allowing the United States to wage unilaterally, which is technically illegal, which shows you how useless the fucking UN is and how much they are capitulating to and ultimately uh, purported by 
uh, the imperialist nations dominating the world. But there's, there's myths about this capitalism which people cannot lodge out from their brains, right? Um, right now we see a huge intensification of conflicts in the Horn of Africa, in Asia, right? All countries where the United States is finding more and more that they are losing their strategic uh, responsibility as they refer to it as... Uh, where they feel they are losing grip over their military control of the area. Um, We are hitting a critical point in capitalism's development where the imperialist nature of the Western powers is coming to roost. Whether it be revolutionary groups like the Sudanese people who are rising and demanding full civilian control, or whether it be uh, far-right nationalist and uh, apartheid groups like the Israeli state who is continuing its destruction and its decimation of the Palestinian people and their lands or whether it's something in the mix of there the imperialist countries are finding more and more that the world is not developing in its favor Wow, what a surprise. You build your entire nation, empire, we should remember. This is an empire, the United States empire. We live within an empire. You build your entire nation up by occupying, warring, destroying, pillaging, plundering, and just stealing from the entire world. You destroy the water sources, you rape the women and children, you make people slaves. And you mean to tell me that this system isn't developing in your favor? Wow, I'm heartbroken. The reality is quite simple, folks. Today, we find ourselves with an opportunity that many before us have not had. All across the global south, people are rising up and demanding a new system. People all across the world are shouting louder than ever before for socialism, for communism, for proletarian revolution, for people's power. And although they might not use the nice buzzwords that we like, and although they might be taking steps in the direction that we might feel are not enough, Our goal here in the West and in the United States must be be to make an example of our bourgeoisie. If we want revolution to look a certain way, well, folks, go ahead and get ready because the best opportunity to do just that is yet to come. And just like the people in Sudan just like the people in Haiti, just like the people in Colombia, just like the people in Venezuela and in Bolivia and in Cuba and in the DPRK and in South Korea and in, North, uh, and in Vietnam and in China and in all of these countries like South Africa, Uganda, Kenya, we have to take the example that the people are making for us and stop talking and start doing. I need not be the one you listen to about this because I am just as guilty as anyone else, but I think that we have reached a critical point in our organizing here in the United States and in the West generally where anti-capitalism has become an aesthetic. It is common for just about anyone to post something bad about capitalism on their Facebook, on their Twitter. Talk about how much they hate their job, right? But this is not enough. Because as Kwame Ture says, if we actually want to change the world, it is not just enough to be united against something. We have... We have to. We have to be united 
for something. And I hate to be a broken record. I really do. Because ultimately, nobody talks to me. (laughs) But if you want to know something truly about what does and doesn't work when it comes down to it, when the people have to be put in charge and the people have to do what they have to do to get the things that they need. When the Cubans had their revolution, all of the civil servants, the engineers, the technicians, the wealthy, the skilled, the educated, left, they fleed. Capital flight, it's called. Happened in Burkina Faso. It happened in Vietnam. It happened in China. It happened in the USSR. And it's because they know that their way of life, their time of exploiting and pillaging the working class so that they can have this privileged, lavish lifestyle was through. But what that meant for the Cuban people, for the Vietnamese people, for the Chinese people, was that now every medical procedure, every single engineering skill, every technical method, every surgical process, all of this needed to be relearned. It needed to be understood now by a new set of people, a new set of people who had not previously been given the opportunity to learn about these things. A new set of people who had decided that they were going to take their destiny, their communities, into their own hands and build a society predicated on egalitarianism, attempting to correct the inequality baked into the capitalist system by building socialism. You don't have to take my word for it. You can look at the history books. You can look at the countries like China, like Cuba, who have been able to wage an incredible struggle against this pandemic, who have been able to keep themselves propped up and providing for their people against continuous uh, uh, mass uh, propaganda, against continuous uh, attempts by the imperialist states to sanction, blockade, embargo and destroy these countries. I mean, we really don't understand the depths to which the United States is trying to sink these countries into the ground. Because it's not just an embargo where like, okay, we're going to have a hard time trading these things uh, on these countries, but it's, it's sanctions and blockades, which means first and foremost, all of the money that you have in your national budget is being siphoned off already, usually, to pay ridiculously large sums uh, to loan uh, uh, servicing because uh, these formerly colonized countries, when they would fight for their independence, they would be forced to have to pay these exorbitant loans to these uh, colonizing countries in order to develop because these colonizing countries were the ones who were able to develop these technologies. They were the ones that were able to hoard all of this wealth and knowledge because they stole it for 500 fucking years from these countries. And then, for example, like in the case of Haiti, you got... 300, I think it's $330 million the French government wanted from Haiti in 1803, the year after their revolution. At least I think that's the correct year and the correct amount. But anyways, my point being that these countries cannot actually be expected to develop and these countries cannot be faulted for the mistakes and for the things that they can't always accomplish if they literally first of all, are spending millions of dollars on these loan servicings, right? And then on top of that, not only do they have to pay that, but they also are sanctioned, 
which means that money is taken from them. They can't actually do business with people. The Venezuelan government, for example, whose entire uh, you know, economy at one point was a majority oil. Not because they wanted that, but because their former colonizers had made that so. And they had huge, and still have huge, natural deposits of oil. But now the U.S. put sanctions on them so that nobody can buy that oil. And the United States, one of the largest purchasers of oil in the world, of course, refuses to buy oil from Venezuela. So now not only are they paying out billions in loan servicing, but they're also losing billions in uh, what would have been income that they could have dedicated to things like healthcare, to keeping prices of foodstuffs low, to vaccines, etc. On top of that, you have secondary sanctions. So if another country comes in and trades with those countries, they get sanctioned. And it's all under this guise of spreading democracy. (coughs) And I think we all know why that's bullshit. But the myth of capitalism, especially uh, since the American empire has come onto the fore, has been displayed and purported under the guise of democracy. But... We must always ask ourselves, democracy for who? Because was it so democratic in November of last year when it was very clear that the majority of the voting population had absolutely no interest in Joe Biden as the democratic ticket, and yet he and Kamala Harris, a fucking cop, after the one of the most uh, intense and uh, incredible uh, years of uh, um, anti-police, anti-racism, activism, organizing, and struggles, they put a fucking cop and uh, the dude who wrote the 94 crime bill, the dude who did a parade with the former Ku Klux Klan leader, the dude who literally passed the bill that made it so that none of us could go to school without being in life-crippling debt for the rest of our lives and then tries to pretend like he's going to actually do anything about that when he himself is making millions, his entire family is making billions off of the funding that these huge universities are giving him and gave him for passing a law that made it almost impossible to school without to go to school in this country without selling your soul and your whole future to a bank or a private investor. The dude who literally went and uh, um, paraded himself around when he was running for Senate, uh, that he wasn't going to allow busing to be changed so that black students and black folks could ride on the same buses as white students and white folks in his home uh, state. Like, this is the dude that is our president. We shouldn't be surprised, right? But this is why, and this is ultimately what I want to cap off on, this is why we got to fucking do something about it. I think quite certainly we understand, right, that unfortunately we are running low on... um, how do I want to say this? Let me let me try that again. I, I, I feel like we've gotten to a point, uh, at least those who I interact with and talk about this stuff with, I think we've gotten to a point where we all can agree that, you know, we basically all got to buck up and start doing something um, that those of us in the West have yet to actually take practical steps uh, as needed to fight from within the belly of the beast, this imperial monster. Um, And I think it's quite clear to many, not only here in the West, but especially outside of the West, that if we do not do something soon, 
there is a real possibility that this shit is just going to keep getting worse. And I know that kind of sounds like, well, duh. But then it's like, okay, what are you and I doing? I mean, you're listening to this podcast. I'm recording it. Can we be doing more? Are we doing more? You see? If um, if we want to talk about the fact that, you know, shit needs to get done, well, then we got to get doing it. Um, and I can understand, um, you know, plenty of different reasons as to why, you know, it's not that simple. But it never has been. You have to understand that the, you know, Nicaraguans who had to try to organize themselves and stand up against one of the most bloody regimes, the Somoza regime, which had dominated the country for decades, that was no easy task. The majority of Nicaraguans at the time were illiterate. They were also oftentimes without food, without jobs, without land. And yet, look at where the Sandinista revolution has brought the Nicaraguan people. It has brought them one of the poorest countries in South America, one of the best healthcare systems in the world, free of charge to anyone. There's signs on every single hospital in every single locality across Nicaragua that says free healthcare for all. Go check out the homie Ramiro Sebastian Fuñez's um uh documentary uh Nicaragua against empire on YouTube if you think in you know any of these countries that have had to stand up you know maybe not for socialism right who have had to stand up for their independence against uh colonialism uh, who have had to resist against uh, colonialism and ind- indigenous, you know, peoples who still today uh, are rising up. They are, for example, here in the West, occupying the BIA um, in Washington, D.C., which is an incredibly historic uh, event, considering the fact that years ago, the American Indian movement, AIM, was able to do just that. And so therefore this moment in time is is that much more, you know, uh, incredible. If, If you think that the consistent struggle that all of these peoples, whether black, brown, or indigenous, um, uh, all across the world have had to wage against colonialism, have had to wage against imperialism, against white supremacy. None of these things were easy. And if we're sitting here today thinking, well, you know, Josh, there is just so many obstacles in front of us. I mean, Look at the depoliticization of the the West. Look at how liberal and how incredibly backward they are in their thinking about other people, about politics, about society. Look at how much they are willing to just say, oh, we just need another plague, right? Don't you love hearing that one? What what are what are we going to do that's going to change that? It's impossible. Well, not for nothing. If you're listening to this podcast and you think that that's impossible, uh, my friend, I would kindly ask you to please keep listening because hopefully uh, soon you won't feel that way because it's not. It's not impossible. It's been proven that it's not impossible. I, I think that's one thing that... I, you know, I've struggled with before. I still have my moments in time, especially with, you know, climate change and everything where I feel especially doomer-esque or at least very depressed. But I remember 
that amidst all of this, billions of people around the world are already doing what we're saying is impossible. Billions of people across the world are organizing outside of the the COP26 meeting in Glasgow uh, against the imperialist uh, climate uh, crushing countries demonstrating against their global domination and their assumption that they should and can continue to control and manipulate the world's resources and labor. If you think this is impossible, look to the Cuban government, which under immense pressure has not only been able to develop two incredibly effective vaccines, but over the course of 60 years, under one of the most tight and most unprecedented economic blockades and sanctions, amidst all of this, they were able to build a equitable and egalitarian healthcare system, which provides adequate and affordable uh, uh, assistance, which has one doctor, I think, in every community per every four people, I want to say. You have a doctor that comes to your house, yo, knows you, knows your whole family, grows up with you. You have hospitals all over the place where you can get some of the most advanced procedures that even here in the West, most people can't afford. If you think that this shit is impossible, my friends, look no further than the world we live in today, where if it is impossible, there is nothing worth living for. And so, therefore, we have two options. We really do. And and I will let you know what I think my option is and what I think we need to do, and I will close out the show. But we have two options, right? We have seen, most of us, what is wrong with the world, at least to some extent. We recognize that shit is fucked up. We recognize that this is wrong and something needs to change. So we got two options. Because once you're you're conscious of something, you can either do something about it or you can ignore it. If you choose to ignore it, that is, of course, your own choice. But you are choosing to ignore that. You have no excuse. You are equally, equally as accountable to the actions which proceed from that point forward as anyone else's. Because as Jaleel Mutakim talks about in his uh, discussion with the uh, Sean and uh, Jackie over at By Any Means Necessary, um, he says quite clearly, he says, we here in the U.S., those of us who have not been fighting this genocidal, uh, you know, corporate entity state, whatever you want to call it, those of us who have been capitulating to its power have ultimately decided for ourselves and for, you know, those who are being affected by these things, that we are willing to be, you know, semi-accountable for this. We are willing to accept that this is just a thing that's happening and apparently there's nothing that can be done about it. We are willing to keep shopping, to keep going to the movies, right? To keep logging on to Facebook, to keep going to our jobs, keep lining up in that McDonald's drive through Like, this is shit that I do every day, y'all. So, like, what are we going to do about it? I think that since we've hit this critical point where we got the two choices, I think we ought to do something, you know? I, that's just... The reason why I say that is, you know, there's plenty, plenty of reasons, I should say, why I say that. But I I find that one of the most important reasons that folks don't really recognize 
is that this is kind of our only option. Um, the earth is dying, right? The militaries and police forces of imperialist countries around the world are massacring people at a rate almost never before seen. So sad to think that there has been rates much higher than this. Um, the governments and the corporations are continuing to simply siphon off more and more wealth, more and more power, more and more control to themselves um, and to their uh, donors and their constituents. And yet, what is there to do? Because I think, sure, is it is it great to get on here every few days, have amazing guests on, and talk about, okay, we need to do something? Yeah. Pat on the back, Josh. But what really needs to be done is actual organizing. And there's so many ways that we can go about doing this, and there's so many groups which are actively doing stuff like this, like Code Pink. Uh, no Cold War, uh, the Tricontinental, Cut the Pentagon, um, uh, People's Forum, Red Condor Collective, Friend of the ATC, uh, Party for Socialism and Liberation, the uh, All African People's Revolutionary Party, the uh, uh, Chinese state government, the Chow Collective, all of these different groups, uh, whether they be Western-based or not, are doing incredible work. They are raising funds. They are uh, donating medical supplies. They are spreading key and critical educational information to tamp down the propaganda machine that the United States has built up over its uh, domination of the last hundred or so years. Um, it is these countries uh, across the world which are trying to not only build themselves up, but also build other people up. I mean, there's this incredibly, incredibly galvanizing speech that Fidel Castro gives where he says, we do not send bombs to other countries. We do not send chemical warfare. We do not send harm. We send doctors. We send teachers, right? And they do. One of the most incredible things that the Cuban government has been able to do since 1959 is send, uh, you know, huge delegations of doctors, medical professionals, educators, engineers, technicians, soldiers. Even, for example, in Angola, I believe it is Angola or Algeria. Unfortunately, because my geography is still growing, I do get those confused sometimes. Since soldiers that ended up being one of the most, uh, one of the more prominent moments, which helped to uh, emancipate the South Africans from their uh, apartheid state, the South African. Uh, military and uh, state was trying to take back uh, and, and take hold of its former, uh, you know, seized power. Um, and this, this much can't be ignored. You, you really have to recognize and continue educating yourselves um, about all of the things that socialism has been able to build and all of the things it has been able to build amidst the largest and most expensive and longest ongoing war, conflict, whatever you want to call it, against socialism. I hope we understand the real severity with which this war is waged. In Vietnam, there are still people today who are being born with birth defects because of the incredible amounts of Agent Orange, napalm, and other chemical weaponry that has destroyed the soil, destroyed the drinking water, destroyed the forestry, 
and the the um foliage it has led to an incredible increase in health risk in you know birth defects children babies being born because of you know being born with all these different difficulties and and, and struggles that they're going to live with because Ho Chi Minh and millions of poor, oppressed, working-class Vietnamese people rose up against the strongest empire in history at its peak strength and said, fuck you, Yankees. Put each and every one of your grandparents in the fucking ground. I can't believe I said that. Oh, shit. Hey, listen to me clearly here, folks. If your grandpa got killed in Vietnam, good. Fuck your grandpa. Fuck the U.S. empire. Fuck U.S. imperialism. Fuck everybody who has participated in that one way or another. Um. Yeah, I, I really don't care. I wish more of your grandparents had been killed in Vietnam. Maybe we wouldn't be in this predicament. Maybe Ho Chi Minh would have came and emancipated the American people. Who knows? But only jokes here, folks. Don't get too, too upset. Not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or be too mean. But I hope my point is understood because realistically, we shouldn't be supporting that whatsoever whatsoever. I don't care if it's your family member. I don't care if it's your best fucking friend. You shouldn't be supporting the U.S. Imperial Empire. I don't give a fuck what your relationship to people is. I don't give a fuck at all. I'm a fucking Marxist. I'm a communist. The fucking U.S. Empire is a detriment to the world and ultimately has led towards the destruction of the planet. Literally, the U.S. military is the largest polluter in the world. So, anyways, um, what I back to what I was saying. If we want to see shit done about this, we got to get organizing. So, what does that mean? Well, first and foremost, go educate yourselves. Go join, you know, study groups. Go get with some folks in your area who can teach you about the different ways in which your local community is being taken advantage of. Go learn about the history of U.S. imperialism across the globe. Go learn about the 226 plus years in the 244 years of existence that the United States has been actively in a conflict involved across the world in wars that are ultimately for the purpose of destroying the population, killing any forms of resistance off, uh, segmenting and uh, sectioning off land and resources and water and labor for private corporations to come in and steal that labor, those resources, take ownership of that market, eventually purchase ownership of the state if it's not already in their hands as they're coming in, and all in all, uh, you know, just continue to build that capitalism, right? If if we don't do something about that, if we don't learn about that, we can't actually organize around that because <clears throat> there's this really cool thing that happens where, for example, in Germany in 1914, one of the largest and most resolute communist parties in the world, the uh, German Social Democrat Party, I think that was their name, led by Karl Kauti and others, decided that it was in fact a correct line to take to stand in support of their quote-unquote motherland, Germany, the country which at that time they had been organizing for over 40 years to try to wage a revolution against. This is why it's important to be educated, folks, because you can make dumb mistakes like that. Or, contemporary example, you can be like Noam Chomsky, who during uh, periods like in Vietnam and others has continuously come out and spread anti-communist propaganda, which no matter how he wants to deny it, no matter how anybody wants to get some nuance going, folks like Michael Parenti were not capitulating to, 
and others like, for example, I don't know, Catherine McKinnon, they didn't pull that liberal bullshit. They didn't pull that capitulation and using the fancy rhetoric and nuance to be able to say, oh, well, no, this is what I actually meant or this, this, that, and the third. Um, because what, what he was actually means, I don't give a shit. Michael Parenti didn't say that shit. Hashtag Michael Parenti dad. Okay. That's all I got to say. But anyways, what you need to be doing is getting organized. You need to be building anti-imperialist, uh, power. You need to be getting your community fed. You need to be building houseless shelters. You need to be uh, joining coalitions that are doing delegations to spread information about how China is in fact not a threat to the United States and we should not go to war with China. I don't care who the fuck you are. I don't care if you think China is not a communist or a socialist country. I don't give a fuck what you think. We should not be going to war nor waging any conflict or any kind of uh, sanctions against the Chinese uh, government, against the Chinese people, because that's who it will affect, the Chinese people. Never forget that, folks. If you're still listening to this, thank you very much. Please go organize. Stop listening to this podcast. Go organize. Reach out to me if you need any help. Stay safe, folks. Stay revolutionary. Love you all. Solidarity. Um, Yeah. Hope you're well. Stay safe, y'all. Peace. Till next time.